Good morning. We, uh, we're going to be back in the sticky pages of the scripture today, back in the Old Testament, to a passage that, uh, a piece of it, many people have stenciled like in their kitchen or their dining room area, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, but we're going to look at it in context. I know for me, for years, um, that I, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It was this discomforting, comforting verse. But if we look at the context of it and we see what was going on with the, 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 the Israelites at the time, um, I'm sure it was a comfort, but it was a promise given in the midst of exile. So um, the title today is Being a Believer in an Unbelieving World, and we're, we're talking about kind of life in community. And if, if you missed last week, this is not trying to promote clicks or views or anything like that, but I'm not saying the presentation of the material last week was really, really good, but the information shared last week about the influence, the long and a good way, the long shadow that the people of God, the church of Christ, has cast over the world over the last two millennia, are, it, it's worth hearing. It's an encouraging message. It's an encouragement to see what the, how the world would be if Christians weren't in it. So, encourage you to go and look back at that if you haven't, or if you haven't, if you weren't here last week, or if you weren't able to join us online. Uh, those joining us on the phone and online, uh, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors here, and we welcome you. Uh, wish you could be here with us, but also understand because of ailments and travel that that's not always possible. Uh, I want to give you one little uh, little thing about something I did yesterday before we get into this. Uh, I won't take long, but I want to welcome. The Grace of God International Mission Church uh, to the Alliance of Reformed Churches. Uh, they worship at Fourth Reformed in uh, Grand Rapids. Eric, Sh Eric Schalk is the, is the pastor of Fourth Reformed. Um, Tim Vink and I were able to be a part of the ordination of Joel Rutiganda last night, uh, yesterday, well, most of the day. <laughs> um, uh, Tim and I were the only English speakers. There was a translator, but they, the, the, whoever was speaking in Congolese didn't pause long enough for um, the translator to say anything. And with me and my hearing, I missed most of everything, but I was glad to be there. It was about almost three hours um, of 150 Congolese people and me and Tim. And uh, it was, if you think it gets loud in here sometimes, from, from the parking lot when I got out, and I always park as far away as I can, just in case I don't want to get in anyone's way. Um, so I got out of, out of my car, shut the door of my truck. Hearing aids are not in yet, and I could hear a guy praying because, a, I mean this in, in all jest and fellowship and Christian love, but apparently God can't hear you unless the mic is turned up to 11 and you're yelling. It was, but the choir was amazing. If you've ever seen an African choir, it was phenomenal. There's 10 people up there, well, 10 people with mics and three guys with whistles, whistling. It was, it, I never experienced anything like it. Uh, we'll probably choose a time to go there, sometime to worship with them just to see everything that was going on, but it was, it was glorious and it was wonderful to hear how blessed they have been for the pursuit that the uh, Alliance of Reformed Churches, uh, we pursued them and they are now in partnership with us. And there are four or five other Congolese congregations uh, within the uh, Grand Rapids metropolitan area that are now considering joining forces with us as we move to take God's gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ 
to the world. So just FYI, if you ever hear of Grace of God International Mission Church in Grand Rapids, they're an Alliance Church and they are a Congolese congregation. Let me pray and then we'll get into Jeremiah 29. Lord, bless you. Bless you that, that we have something in common with people who, who first lived in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, but then spent seven and some 15 years in Rwandan refugee camps until awaiting a chance to come to the United States, that, that, to, to meet people that, that we don't share a language, we don't share a culture, but we do share you to hear the pieces and bits and pieces of the translation yesterday of people giving praise to you for the work you've done and gratitude for their partnership on the gospel with American Christians. We bless you for that. Lord, as we, as we walk through this three-week series on life in community, pray that you, you speak to us, that you, if need be, that you change our perspective on some things. But most of all, Lord, we want to hear what you have to say to us. So show us only what you want us to see. Give us only what you want us to have and, and, and tell us only what you want us to hear. Let this be your message for us, not mine for them. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So you probably are aware of this, but um, there are several books in the Old Testament, prophetic books, that, that, that are kind of contemporary that, ta- that, that are written uh, during this time of either just before the exile into Babylon, exile into Babylon, or just after the exile when they're returning to Jerusalem. So you've got Nehemiah who writes when they're coming back about the rebuilding of the temple. Um, you've got Jeremiah with lamentations, and that's when, you know, the whole world, has, has, everything that he knew to be true is over because the people had, the, Jerusalem had been destroyed and the people had been taken into exile. And then Jeremiah speaks to the people that are in exile um, early on in the time. Now, to, to know why they were sent into exile, there are several theories they were not, they were lazy at best about their, their being a light to the world, um, a city on a hill, a blessing of all people groups. They were lazy at best over and over and over again from the, from the, um, from the exodus to the exile. Um, but the reason for 70 years is they never, they never practiced a Sabbath year. And there were 70 Sabbath years that they had, that they had, um, that they had skipped. So a Sabbath year is you, you work and you do everything and you borrow money and you loan money, all that kind of stuff for six years. And then the seventh year, everything's supposed to be forgiven. Property is restored to the rightful owners or to the, to the people that God had given the property to. Um, and you don't plant or harvest that year. So it's, a, it's an opportunity like we do every seventh day. It's an opportunity to trust the Lord in his provision instead of trusting ourselves. And then you have the year of Jubilee, which is every seventh, seventh, seventh year. Uh, yeah, every seventh, seventh year, there's three years then where there's no planting or harvesting because you've got the year of uh, Sabbath and you have the year of Jubilee. So you don't plant or harvest, you don't plant or harvest. And then the, because you didn't plant, there's no harvest. So there's three years where you have to, you have to count on God. Now the Israelites never once practiced the year of Jubilee and never once practiced the year of Sabbath. So they had kind of gotten to the point where like, we got this. And God warned them time and time and time and time again. And so he allowed Nebuchadnezzar, a Molech demon-worshiping king from Babylon, the most powerful man in the known world at that time, to come and conquer Jerusalem. 
and he carried almost all. There are a few, there's a remnant still in Jerusalem, but he carried almost all into exile. And they started asking their prophets to, to dream dreams and to prophesy prophecies. And the Lord is saying, what they're saying in my name, it's not from me. So here's how it reads. Jeremiah 29, 1 through 14 This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And and then a parenthetical sentence here. This this was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, The craftsmen and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted this letter to... uh, forgive me on the names, Elisa, son of Shaphan, and to, I'm going to say Jeremiah, it could be Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, uh, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now we'll get to that in a second, but it, it is a letter written from Jeremiah to the captives, and it was Nebuchadnezzar that took them into exile. But notice that God, in his letter, his direct word to Jeremiah says that the, the God of Israel says to all those carried in, that I carried into exile from Jerusalem. So that means that God used a demon-worshiping king and his army to punish the people of God, to take them from Jerusalem into, into Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when, uh, excuse me, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations in the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Now, the book of Daniel is written. It's a prophetic book, but the first half of it is really kind of the tales of Daniel and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. With the, so you've got the, 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 the lion's den, you've got the, the, the fiery furnace, all those kind of things. But it's interesting to me what the Lord is saying to the people. Your enemies, the Babylonians, while you're with them, do not treat them as if they're enemies. Now, there's some neuroscience out there right now um, that biblical and 
scientific, so it's a nice merge, a biblical worldview, a scriptural worldview, and the science of how we relate to one another that shows up in our brain. Lynn is very involved in this, but there's this, and I don't love the term, but it, it works. There's this, this mode that we can get into called enemy mode. So I'll give you an example. My last fishing tournament, um, my fishing partner, Doug Harmson, and I were back in the back. We, we went in at Fruitport on, near Spring, on Spring Lake, and we went back into Petty's Bayou. That doesn't mean anything to anybody if you're not familiar with the area. But we had, and we got there, and we were the only boat in the tournament in there. So, okay. So we don't have to go to our best spot. We can work our way back. It's all a no-wake zone, so there's not a whole lot of, um, it, it takes a lot of time. to fish. It, it, fishes pretty, it fishes pretty big, even though it's not that big of a bayou. So we go back, and we're, we're fishing in this little cove uh, up against the seawall, and we hear another boat coming in, and they're putzing because it's, it's you know, it's no wake. And we look, and we go, okay, they're going to the back of the bayou. Our best spot is the steel dock back there. And so oh, we better go. We better go back there. So we go. They, they're 50 to 80 yards offshore. They're 50 to 80 yards away from this dock, and we, we pull up. We're not, we're not going fast. We can't. Um, pull up, hop up on the front deck, put my trolling motor down, and cast and then I look over, and they're headed toward us. Now, the rule is you give, you give another team 50 yards. They were 80-plus yards away and 80-plus yards offshore. And as I cast, the guy goes, that's dirty, fellas. And I don't hear it very well, so I'm like, Doug, what did he say? He goes, they're saying we're being dirty. So to them, they showed up in a spot, and because no one was there, they're going to fish this, this, this weed line to get and then worked their way to the dock, just kind of like we had done. But our intention was not to take their spot. Our intention was we want to get to the spot that we had planned in advance to go to. Well, they saw us coming, and they thought that we should know their heart, we should know their mind, that we should know their intent, even though they're offshore and they're way away. We should have been able to discern that they were coming this way. Well, we have words. It didn't get real bad. <laughs> I was going to turn that off. It didn't get real bad, but I'm like, guys, we had no idea you were coming. So he's a little heated. I go, do you want us to, you, what, do you want us to leave? And he goes, you want the truth? And so I, the worst thing I said, we did give it to them, and they did win the tournament. They fished for 45 minutes on that dock, and we could see them whacking them. Um, but when we were leaving, I did, I got to confess, I did go, is it okay with you if we go over and fish these fall down trees over here? <laughs> Wasn't my best moment. But you know what? The thing I love most in the world, as far as recreation is concerned, is fishing. And the rest of that night, all I'm thinking is, I can't believe those guys. What, what, what jerks were they? And then they, they, they accuse us of being dirty. I mean, that's in my head the whole night. And then when we get done and we're going to weigh in, and there's some guys there that I know, and I'm usually very friendly. How'd you guys do? Fine. So it, it, changed, it changed my perception, my perspective. It changed that's the last tournament of the year. And, and we, I did really well. I caught 10 and a half pounds. Partner wasn't able to put a keeper in the boat. That's not against him because sometimes it goes the other way. But I had, a, I had a good night, caught a lot of fish. But the whole night was ruined because these guys became my enemies. Now, I wasn't going to kill them. I didn't swear at them. I didn't ask the Lord to, to make it so they didn't catch any fish. It wasn't anything like that. But it was just enough for me to go, if you've ever been in traffic, and, and, and it comes down to one lane, and you got the guy running up the, running up the, and you're like, uh -uh. if you've ever been that guy or that, or that person, sorry, I know, I, I know a couple of ladies that they are that person that runs up the side. Um, and you, does not, does it not, do you go, Lord bless them, I'm sure that there's someone that needs to get to the hospital. 
or not. It changes how we see and experience the world. I give you that silly little example of a not proud moment of mine because that is what the Lord is asking the people for 70 years to Molech worshiping. That means that Molech is the one that you take your children to and you burn them to satiate or to pacify this demonic God. He's sending them there in order to punish them. But he says, while you're there, pray for them. Bless them. Prosper there, because if, if they, and pray for their prosperity. If they prosper, you prosper. We see this in Daniel. Daniel, who was one of Nebuchadnezzar's advisors, a magi, um, that, and it's possible most of the magi were, were made into eunuchs because they didn't want the, the, the king who, he was their, they were their, his closest advisors, he had a harem of women and he didn't want these handsome young men being able to, and so most of them were turned into eunuchs. So Daniel may have been made a eunuch, we don't know that for sure, and Daniel was an advisor to the king. First, he was kind of seen as an enemy, but Daniel decided to treat Nebuchadnezzar with respect and the guards with respect. And over the course of a lifetime, he earned favor and he was then became a trusted advisor and he was able to interpret dreams when no one else could. And he told Nebuchadnezzar the truth and he had the right to tell him the truth because he had earned the right through treating the king with dignity and respect. And if you think also, if you remember the book of Daniel, you'll see that yes, God carried them into captivity. Yes, God God was punishing them for being lazy and for being, it's called the cycle of apostasy, for being faithful in the not and then faithful in the not and then faithful in the not, not being, not fulfilling God's call for them for the world. But Daniel, um, this, the book of Daniel, the book of, actually, the book of uh, Joseph, or the story of Joseph, is he, he's sold by his brothers into Egypt or into, into captivity, and then he goes into Egypt, and what, is, what ends up happening to him over the course of a lifetime? He's the second in charge of all of Egypt, and through God, he saves the world from a worldwide famine. But notice that what God did in Egypt and what God did in Babylon, if you remember the story of Daniel, God, through Daniel, reached Nebuchadnezzar, that by the end of the, the Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he had sent out an edict to the known world saying that there is no God but the God of the Israelites. So while God was punishing his people, he also had a purpose for them there. Same thing with Jonah going, into, going to Nineveh. God wanted, he, those were the enemies of Jonah, but he wanted to give them a chance to repent of their wickedness. So God had this bigger plan, and he's using their captivity, yes, to correct them, but also to call to repentance a king who was a Molech worshiping king, and then he got so grandiose about himself that he became the one to worship, and God humbled him in part through the people that God allowed him to take into exile. So why tell you, why tell you all this? Why? Because there's a theme in Scripture and if you think back a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the Christians in Rome made a name for themselves. I don't mean how they wrote the name Christian, but how they made a name for themselves is they, they cared about people that nobody else cared about. They rescued discarded children. They actually cared for the widows and the orphans. 
And people started seeing it. People started watching it. People started paying attention to it. And little by little, it changed the known world from Western civilization that would have been Greco-Roman Empire to the Western civilization that we know now. One where people have rights, not just the, the, the Roman citizens or the, 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 the royals or the, you know, the people of the feudal system. It, it's morphed but it's changed to individual rights. It's changed to dignity and respect for the least, the, those who can take care of themselves the least. The idea that we are to, how we treat the least of these is how we treat God. That whole idea and the Christians acting it out changed the known world. And now we look at this and we go, hmm, not getting better. In some ways it looks like we're turning into a feudal system again. The individual rights of people, they weren't rights 20 years ago, and now it's the thing that everybody fights for. There's 1.2% of the population that thinks that this is the most important thing, and there's a bunch of us that say, that's the most important thing. And we look at it and we go, what happened to our world? What did we do? And then we ask God, God, please fix it. Please expose it. Please show. Revive us. But sometimes we treat them like the guy in the Triton boat who called me dirty because I was taking his spot. It ruins everything. Like, we look at the people that are on the, on the screens and we're like, oh, you'll get yours. But is that the heart that the Lord wants us to have if we're believers in an unbelieving world? Not according to the Old Testament, not according to the New Testament, not according to the epistles or the gospels. What the Lord would have us do is bless those who persecute us, pray for those who harm us, love our enemies. That means that we're treating enemies as if they're family. We don't get into what, what the, the, the neuroscientists call enemy mode. We have to look at people and go, you're not my enemy. The one who's deceiving you is my enemy, but you're not. And the way to change the world is, as the Lord said here, seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. Are we praying for Western civilization? Are we praying for God to bless those that are in power? Are we, are we praying for God to prosper countries, nations, governments? Or are we praying for God to either take it down or to restore it the way it was 30 and 50 years ago? And trust me, folks, I want it to go back. And I jokingly talk about there's this thing called the space junk theory. Um, all the satellites that have gone up and all the things that have gone up into the to, to Earth orbit, um, little pieces of satellites are left behind. Um, and they track them, every one of them. But there are some, and there have been some near misses, but if the right piece of space junk hits the right satellite, satellite it's going to cause a cascading effect, and within 30 minutes, every satellite will be destroyed, and we'll go back to 1972. And I know how to read a map. I'll be just fine. Sometimes I crave that. Sometimes I wish we could go back. But that's not how the world works, and that's not how God works. God has an arc for history, and we're in the middle of what feels like a downward trend of that arc. But do you think 
that the Babylonians hated the Israelites 10 years after they were there, if they're praying for them to prosper, if they're, if they're serving, if they're treating their enemies who are no longer enemies, but their fellow uh, citizens of Babylon, if they're treating them with dignity and respect, you think that Babylonians hated them? Nebuchadnezzar didn't. And over the course of 70 years, the king who wanted to be worshipped, but previously had worshipped Molech, the, sacrifice, the, the baby sacrifice God, he wrote an edict to the known world that the God of Israel is the only God. I don't think they, I don't think they hated the Israelites. They were mistreated early, but I think the Israelites, because they behaved the way God called them to behave, counting on the promise that God knows the plans he has, plans to prosper, not to harm, plans to give a hope and a future. 70 years in advance, but they had to wait and be and persevere and increase in number for 70 years. My guess is when they were finally given permission to go back to Israel, that Babylon grieved it. And I want to ask you the question, would Ottawa County, Zealand specifically, Zealand and Holland Township, if this church disappeared today, if we shut our doors, sold the building, and it was taken over by some corporation, would Zealand, Michigan grieve community churches, the loss of community reform church? I hope so. I hope so. But I don't know. Would, would Western Michigan, what would be the loss to Western Michigan? Convenient concerts. And I think some of the schools that use this place for baccalaureate and for um, turning point dance recitals and that kind of stuff, they'd, they'd have to find another place because we're cheap. We've got a good sound system. We've got good support staff. There'd be some little things like that. But are the people that don't believe what we believe, that don't look the way we look, that, 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 that dress differently than we do, are they... Are we in enemy mode? Or are we blessing them? Now, this is not to say don't have your own belief system. It is not to, Daniel never stopped saying what the truth was. Jo Joseph never stopped saying what the truth was. Jonah didn't want to say what the truth was, but God made him say what the truth was. It's not to say that we don't have a voice. The world needs our voice. And we can't control the world but we can control who we are here. So one of the things, I know that the, the, the announcements mentioned that to listen to today, I found out this morning that I'm supposed to kind of talk about what we're doing on Wednesday nights. Um, but it, there's a plan for this, for this year, and it's not to how do we impact the world. It is a plan to grow up leaders. If you think about 70 years, that means that someone born the first year in exile was a senior citizen by the time he went to start rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. So if Jerusalem, if the Israelites in Babylon decided to fold our arms and just wait it out and not to bless, not to multiply, not to have children and have our children have children, then, then the people of God just cease to exist in 70 years. They, they, not only did they have children, but they instructed them in the way of the Lord. They raised up new leaders so that the, by the time they ended up back in Jerusalem, they had a whole new crew of leaders. And that's something that this church is very committed to, 
committed to raising up young leaders so that one day they won't be young leaders, they will just be leaders. And then uh, uh, not long after that, I used to be the youngest guy in every pastor room, and now I'm the elderly statesman. And I don't know when it happened, but it just happens. What about a 70-year vision? What about looking and going, what are we leaving behind that will bless the world with Christ? Who are we leaving behind? Who are we growing up? Who are, because the Israelites had to do that. None of the people that went into exile were going to be capable of leading or, 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 or building a wall or rebuilding the temple when they got out. If you went into exile at 30 years old, you're probably not alive when your people come out of exile. So can we have a vision where we're looking forward and saying, we're going to raise up new leaders. We're going to entrust. They're not the church of the future. They are the church right now. Can we, can we hope and pray and correct, admonish, encourage, and impart wisdom to up-and-comers. One of the things we're going to do this fall, I'll close with this, it's called Gather a Community. And on Wednesday nights, we're changing Wednesday nights. Dinner, going to be a little earlier, 5 to 5.45, I believe. We can still get dinner. You can come just for dinner and leave. That's fine. But after that, we're going to gather together, and there's going to be music that none of us know. Like me at the Congolese worship service yesterday. Didn't understand a word, but it was really, really sweet sounding. So it won't be this style, it won't be the style of daybreak, it won't be the style of breakaway, it won't be the style of mosaic, it's going to switch up week to week. And we're going we're gonna to bring in people that may not be good up front. And we're going to, how do you learn to lead worship? Lead worship. And we're going to have people like Kyle give a message. Corey, Caden, Bree, Jen, Lynn. How do you learn to present the gospel in front of people? By presenting the gospel in front of people. And then we're going to break off into groups and we're going to talk. So, and you might not be comfortable in small groups or uh, talk groups, or I don't remember what we're calling them, but, but breakout sessions. Um, but, but what if you stretch yourself a little bit because you might have something to offer someone who doesn't have the wisdom that you have. And you might, you might learn something from some of the younger folks, what they have to deal with in their lives, what they see in their culture, what their friends are choosing about their lives. You might learn how difficult it is for them in their early adulthood that's different than it was when in your early adulthood. Instead of just grieving what's gone, we can start praying for those leaders in that culture to, to begin to transform it with the good news of Jesus Christ. And I encourage every one of you, and this isn't so we have a big gathering. We're going to start in the Mosaic. If it gets big enough, we'll come in here. But, but we're going to encourage, we're going to have patience, and we're going to go, yeah, you got some work to do. But you led me in worship. Or, yeah, you got some work to do, but you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ today. God declared you worthy to, to speak on behalf of him today. And, I, and yeah, we'll be full of hog wild or pizza or something like that. So it'd be hard not to fall asleep. You know how it is. Like right now, you had breakfast this morning and this guy won't shut up. <laughs> if we look at the themes of scripture, we will see not only when people are in exile, but even when they're not, that the Lord is always wanting to raise up new people. And it's almost never the person we would expect.
Remember Jesse's kids? Seven of them? It's not the guy. You have any more kids? Yeah, a little guy, David, he's out in the, with the sheep. Bring him in. He becomes a man after God's own heart. But we'll need your help discerning who these next leaders are. We'll need your help encouraging, correcting, offering wisdom and advice. And on top of all that, you might learn something about this next generation. They're amazing. And those that love the Lord, it's harder for them to live their faith out than it was for me. And I'm proud of them. And I'm hoping that you too will decide to live in community here so that over the next 70 years, we can bless our community, we can bless our county, we can bless our state, we can bless our nation, and we can bless our world. Let's pray together. Lord, we are believers in an unbelieving world. And while in this country it didn't feel that way 30 and 50 years ago, it's always been the case for your people. Give us eyes to see how you would have us see others. Give us minds to consider that they are not our enemy. Our battle is not against them. And remind us to pray for those who disagree with us, to pray for our leaders. And Lord, right now we ask that you turn our nation back toward you, that there be a revival, a renewal, and a call to repentance for all of us, not just those that we see as enemy, but all of us. Because like the Israelites, there have been times when we've been lazy in our faith journey. We pray that you call us to seek you with all of our heart so that you will be blessed and so will the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray.